The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. Rainmaker FM. Greetings and welcome back to part two of this special edition of the show we traditionally call Writer Porn. I am your host, Kelton Reed, and I've invited back my old friend, award-winning international journalist, author, pundit, and bad penny, Adam Skolnick, to discuss with me a piece I wrote recently for Copyblogger titled Five Things Only Serious Writers Do. I wanted to add a quick note here just to say that there are never enough words to thank all of you who reached out last week with your sweet thoughts, virtual hugs, and notes of encouragement following the sadder half of this show. So on to the matter at hand. As writers, we all have our varied neuroses, methods of madness, well-worn manuals, muses, writer porn, and incantations that we feel grant us the strength to face that blank page. But there are five fundamental things that set serious writers apart from the crowd. And Adam and I are going to discuss those. You can follow along at copyblogger.com slash serious hyphen writers if you're interested. Adam Skolnick's narrative nonfiction book, One Breath, Free Diving Death and the Quest to Shatter Human Limits, based on his award-winning New York Times sports reporting, is available in paperback. In addition to his recent journalism, Adam has visited 45 countries and contributed to over 30 Lonely Planet guidebooks. He has written for ESPN.com, Men's Health, Outside, BBC, Playboy, The New York Times, and has appeared on NPR. In part two of this file, Adam and I discussed how all serious writers share a connective tissue, why work ethic outlasts talent every time, the fallacy of motivation versus the power of habit and small incremental steps, why sitting down and getting started is often the hardest thing for writers, what to write when you don't know what to say, on shitty first drafts as grist for the mill, the unglamorous origins of the sentence, and why deadlines are the pressure that make a diamond. And if you missed the first half of this show, you can find it in the archives on Apple Podcasts or wherever you tune in. And in the show notes, stay tuned. The Writer Files is brought to you by my friends at copyblogger.com. Words that work. Build your online authority with powerfully effective content marketing. Get superior content marketing education so you can build a remarkable online presence. Authors, bloggers, journalists, online publishers, and entrepreneurs, head over to copyblogger.com to learn more. That's copyblogger.com. 
And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. And leave us a rating or a review over on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. Do you want to talk about uh, serious writers? Let's talk about serious You're writers. kind of a serious writer. You're kind of a big deal. Am I overly serious? Because <laughs> I feel like... I feel like, I feel like I try to keep it light, but yeah, I know it's weird. I think I'm funnier than my work. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have to find, we have to find humor in our idiosyncrasies and our neuroticism. Yes. Yes. Let's do it. Man. Yeah. Let's talk about, uh, five things only serious writers do. That's the title of this episode, even though we've veered into some tragedy and some, some hopeful, more hopeful stories. Let's talk about this, uh, the, these things. And uh, I wrote a piece over on Copy Blogger titled Five Things Only Serious Writers Do and kind of culled from, of course, some of these interviews uh, from the podcast here and some other sources. So I thought it'd be kind of great to get Adam on here to uh, delve into these with me. This podcast series has dug into the habits, habitats, and brains of some great writers and, and some very prolific and successful writers. So uh, let's talk about what serious writers uh, you do. Know, you could even plug take serious out and put in working. You sure, know, um, sure. Only working writers, you know what I mean? Like Because you can be a, a gifted writer and not a, be a hobbyist necessarily, but have it be your kind of secondary strand of income. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you're writing and that's your primary source of income, then I think especially then, especially this first two on your list yeah, uh, are vital. Yeah. Well, let's dig into it. I mean, when I say serious writer, I mean anybody who's kind of dedicated to the art. But yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think you could change it out for any pro writer, anybody who's yeah. uh, committed to actually, whether it be making a side hustle or making a living doing it. Um, I think we all kind of share a connective tissue is, is kind of the point I was getting at. But I think if these first two are pretty, pretty straight up. Um, but you know, they, there, there's a kind of a psychology to it, right? So, um, the first one is only serious writers show up regularly. Mm. As I state here, I think it's an undervalued talent. I think serious writers show up every day or show up to get the work done regardless of how they're feeling or how, how motivated they're feeling. And, uh, I don't know. You want to talk about that? You yeah. Show, you show up every day. hundred percent. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I mean, serious writers, it, 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 if, if it's, if every day doesn't work for you, if it is a secondary thing, um, then showing up when you schedule yourself to show up is the deal. Yeah. And I, I think hundred percent, I mean, you know, you know, it's undervalued, but it's actually the most important thing being there sure. at the desk doing the work is the most important thing. I mean, there are talented writers that can't seem to get words out. And, and so they're talented people yeah. that may Ta- that talent may really underperforming. Talent doesn't really mean anything in the, sh- in the scheme of, you know, are you getting words onto the page? Because you it's know, all about, it's all about work ethic. Yeah. And every, Every great piece of writing starts with some really shitty drafts. Yeah, I interviewed uh, Beck Evans, which is uh, uh, the co-founder of this great digital writing coach, Prolifico. Um, but she's worked with with hundreds of writers over the years, and she really knows kind of the neuroscience of habit. And, the, and she noted uh, this uh, researcher, Dr. Robert Boyce, had talked quite a bit about, and she talks quite a bit about the big impact of small habit changes, where he had studied 
uh, just writing productivity as a whole and always compared uh, daily regular schedules, people who write every day, people who binge write. Now, binge writing is something that a lot of us are guilty of. You find yourself mm-hmm. procrastinating or you know, you're on a tight mm-hmm. deadline and you have to just get it all out in a day or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Binge writing. Again, if you go back to research on it, it was always considered really, really bad. And often you compared, um, there's um, a researcher who was working in the 80s, 90s called Dr. Robert Boyce. And he he studied writing productivity. And he always compared um, daily regular schedules, people who just write every single day with people who binge write. And he found that on all measures of success, the daily habit wins. The only one that the um, the binge writer scored more highly on was was depression because it was very much seen <laughs> as uh, people rushing to meet deadlines in a panic. Yeah. So a couple of things on that. One is what does showing up every day mean, right? So for me, it means meeting a, a word per day quota. So it's not just sitting at your desk and being there hoping that the mood strikes. It's actually executing a certain number of words per day. So that's going to be different for everybody. Um, when you first start, I think a thousand or fifteen hundred words a day is a good goal. Uh, for sure. me, when sure. I'm in my groove, it's over three thousand words a day. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so uh, no, it's just a matter of time and doing it. And so when you do that words per day, uh, what that allows you to do is uh, when the deadline comes up and it, it does require a binge writing, like you know you have to turn something out like that day or the next day, like yeah. for instance, the outside piece, you know, once the wor- research was done, I had to turn it out in a, in a day, then you're, you have the muscle built up for it. You know, you don't have to get right. ready because you're already ready. Um, so that's, I think it's kind of both all in one. I think when you're binge writing, you're hoping the mood strikes and then you have a great time and a great experience. Often you'll go back and look at it and be like, wow, that felt so good. It was so good. You'll go back and look at it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of jumping ahead because Andy Weir mentions this later in your piece, but Sure. It's like it's it's like it's very rare that that binge writing is any better or even as good as the kind of work a day stuff you've had to hack your way through. Many days I'm hacking my way through, barely getting, you know, barely eking out words and and just staying staying with it until right. um until you can finally get those words out. Right. No, but I think I think you make a great point because even though we've skipped ahead, I think the theme here uh, that is pretty clear is that you don't need to feel motivated to get into that habit. And I think so many professional writers, so many really serious writers say the same thing, uh, as mm. you just mentioned that, um, and I'll just, I'll reference here the piece I had spoken with Oliver Berkman, who's a great uh, journalist for the guardian. He's a columnist. Um, he subscribes to, you know, sitting down every weekday morning to write, you know, I mean, so many of these authors talk about the output um, versus the motivation. And he actually, Oliver Berkman had turned, turned me on to this book by Paul J. Sylvia titled how to write a lot. Um, which is, it's really aimed more at like academic writing, but he, he talked about the, the author talked about the fallacy of writer's block and the power of habit. And we've talked about this so many times. I'll reference back to, of course, our writer's block, um, episode, but mm. that I did with neuroscientist Michael Gribko. But anyway, Sylvia just said, you don't need special motivation to write a lot. I know you've experienced this before, Adam. You don't need to want to write. People rarely feel like doing unpleasant tasks that lack deadlines. So don't wait till you feel like it. Productive writing comes from harnessing the power of habit and habits come from repetition. So that's that small attainable goals, uh, setting those up so you can knock them down regardless of 
whether you're feeling the muse or not. I know it sounds so simple and obvious, <laughs> but it's like the hardest thing to get through your thick head, you know? Yeah. But it's a hundred percent right on. Yeah. I could, yeah. you know, it's, it's absolutely right on. It's a muscle. Yeah. And you don't, you don't exercise and you don't create a muscle and make it bigger and stronger without exercising. It's a yeah. muscle. Yeah. And so that, that, that actually brings us to number two that, you know, there's the neuroscience of, of setting up those, you know, uh, setting up, setting that habit for yourself. So you're kind of training your brain to be ready to do it, uh, regardless of what is, what, it, what your output is, but showing up regularly is number one. And then only serious writers, uh, the second one was get started no matter how inspired they're feeling. So again, that's that it's the same. And we're saying the same thing kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, you're showing up regardless of how you feel you're, you're getting started no matter, um, whether you're feeling it or not, you just mm-hmm. start. And there is something, there is a, a powerful kind of, um, neuroscience piece to that. It's like you, w- once you start something, it doesn't matter how little you put into it. You are naturally compelled to want to finish it. Right. You know, you know, I, well, I love that. I love that because, um, even though I, I'm sounding like, oh yeah, you got work ethic and, and 3000 words a day. And it sounds like, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't have that problem myself, but you know what the hardest part is whenever I have a new project is actually the starting part. You yeah. Know, I, 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 pro, I never procrastinate so much as when I'm done with the research and it's time to actually write. And then I find that it's not like I jumped to 3000 words a day on day one. It's seldom like yeah. that. Usually a thousand right. words is really hard that first day. And, but then once you get into it, you, you, it's like a vibration, you tune up and you get it going. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, so that, that's, that's so interesting to link it to a neuroscience principle because I've definitely felt that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's the pattern of positive thinking and accomplishment, which a lot of writers struggle with because we have these, you know, these lofty goals. You know, if you're working on a novel, which is just an enormous undertaking or, or a long piece of journalism, you know, uh, every, every piece starts with the same, the same kind of daunting, you know, the cursor is just there. It's blinking at you. There's no words there. Mm. Um, you've got all these lofty ambitions and now you have to execute. And really, all you got to do is get, you know, is spend 10 minutes a day, you know, learning that habit, just sitting there. It doesn't matter. Just just get a few words out and and, and it just will catch fire. But, you know, without that kind of that, that, that motivation or at least that repetition and habit of sitting down and just doing it. Yeah. Procrastination or worse, you know, that depression of kind of... <sighs> Am I going to be able to do this? Mm. Is it going to suck? You know, mm. I don't know all the stuff that, uh, it's kind of like acceptance too that your first draft is going to suck a little bit yeah, <laughs> and yeah. that's okay. Exactly. That's all part of the process. It's like a trusting of the process. To me, it all comes down to a trusting of the process. What I've learned from, you know, so many years experience is that I now trust my process that yeah. my process, if I stick to the process, I am going to come out with something that's good. Exactly. My processes are so important, I think, for all of that, the neuroscience piece and the, I don't know, just the kind of the personal, whatever it is, piece. Yeah. Well, you hear athletes talk about that all the time. I actually think when I was finishing my book, I was thinking about, uh, I think I was, it was, it was, the basketball season was in high gear. And I think I heard LeBron James say something like, you know, you just, all you do is, is, um, you put everything you have into it, you leave it all out on the floor and you live with the results. And that's how kind of, ever since I heard that, that's how I approach all of this. Yeah. Because you can't control the results. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories 
Based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again, author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview, and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. That's right. Yeah, there's another great piece I'll link to here in the Atlantic I found just recently um, that I didn't link to in the original, but uh, How to Write a Book Without Losing Your Mind by Olga Kazan at, that I will link to. And some more advice on just ending procrastination, finishing your manuscript, just dissertation or other big project, which I found pretty cool, pretty interesting. Uh, she's saying a lot of the same things I'm saying here and you know, just talking about you know how prolific writers do it how they pump out those three four thousand words a day like um adam and other you know highly prolific prolific authors but yeah she said uh, actually she quoted an author laura vanderkam who, who writes about the art of getting things done and her great quote was when you write a lot you know that the first thing you write is not going to be perfect mm. you know, you're going to be writing all sorts of stuff that won't be in that final draft including writing insert this thing here in brackets i know you haven't done that i've done that <laughs> no i do that all the time <laughs> yeah you yeah, don't know what yeah. to say and you're just like yeah i know what i want to say i just don't know how to say it insert yeah. insert x y or z here um you will make it better but it's so much easier to turn something into something better than to turn nothing into something so again that added you can't edit a blank page just get yeah. started man just get 100%, started. 100%. Yeah. Don't let a don't let a missing statistic stop you from getting your words in. Just throw in a TK, which is a, a you know journalist term for something that you don't have the answer to yet, but you know it's out there and you're going to get. Uh, throw hmm. in a TK or brackets, like you said, and just keep rolling. What's a TK? What does TK stand for? You know, I never knew. Well, I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look, look it up. I never found out. What it stood for. Listeners, if you need to just pause this and go and just get started. Do it. Do it right now. Just go. Go write 100 words. Go That's spend it. 10 minutes. I always, kinda, I always thought it sounded like, to me, it always was like to know or something like that. But huh. it's a TK. Not every um, 
publishing house uses it. Even the book, you know, the book publishers don't use it. They didn't even know what a TK was when I turned in my first draft. Of <laughs> like, what the but like, fuck you know, is journalists uh, to they, you know, to come to come, but it's yeah, with a K, but it's with sure, a K. but it could be from Latin or something. Yeah, who knows? It's a, that's the first thing that came up. TK yeah. to come. Huh. There you go. Uh, there's a Wikipedia. Yeah, so I'll that. slot in a TK. I slotted one in earlier today before I got on the phone with you. I mean, I think we're saying things that writers, serious writers know, or all writers maybe know inherently. It's just a good reminder that the power of simply starting is an incredible psychological tool, an incredible yeah. psychological tool. Approach motivated, goal setting, just doing little stuff rewards your brain, gives you a little hit of dopamine, just checking one thing off your list, off your multi multiple page to-do list, rewards your brain, gives you a sense of accomplishment. Um, I love it. Yeah, yeah. And third one here, we get we're uh, we're moving pretty quick. Only serious Think on paper. This is one of my favorite, and I think uh, we could talk probably talk about this forever. But yeah, only serious writers. Number three, think on paper. Uh, what's your hot take on that? If without any, without thinking about it. Well, I mean, I think I think I think that's just the writing process, right? Yeah. So we've all had those experiences where um, even if you're really well outlined and you really know what you want to say as you're writing it, other ideas kind of find their way in. And I think that all of writing is thinking on paper. Yeah. Um, you know, all of it. I mean, you know, it, once you're once you have it kind of in cast in some sort of form, um, even then, even when you're rewriting, like E.B. White says in this po point when you're quoting E.B. White. Yeah. Um, it's like even then you're still thinking about it. You're still it's all thought. I mean, it's all philosophy. It's all you know. Some of it's not just th philosophy. Some of it's analyzing facts. If you're doing, you know, reporting an investigative piece, um, you're even now even in fact check mode on this prison story. Last night I I spent an hour on the phone uh, with the research editor and we're talking about adding thing. You know, we're still thinking it out, figuring out the best way to 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 make to to get the reader interested and to, and to prove the case or the thesis that we're kind of, that I've kind of set out to prove in a way. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so we're still thinking it out. So every step, every, every step of the process is just an exercise is exercise in thinking on paper. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so the quote I put in here was a Harry Camelman quote. And I mean, I wouldn't imagine people would know who Harry Camelman is. I think he was a mystery writer but uh his quote was don't think and then write it down think on paper um the famous what is it uh william zinser author of on writing well the classic guide to writing nonfiction. have you read zinser's uh on no. writing well no. um I'll, I'll, I'll link to it but anyway i think zinser said uh writing is thinking on paper he's also another uh one that was famously quoted and um I think Zinser and Kemmelman were uh, contemporaries in the 70s. 70s oh, really? 80s. Yeah, so I think they were, they were both quoted for saying probably a well-worn adage. Think on paper. Anyway, um, yeah, there's, there was something about, I think, of course, this great Kevin Kelly quote. Um, you know, he was the, he talked about it. He was, he was the founder of Wired magazine. He's a fantastic journalist, photojournalist, travels the world. He's also a futurist, kind of a, made famous in uh, um, I think it's China for some of his predictions about the future. And uh, he said, I don't feel like I'm a writer. 
a right to figure out what I'm thinking. For me, the killer thing is the first draft, going back to first drafts, uh, being shitty. Because I don't have an idea and then try and write it. I write it to have an idea. And um, so that means like writing stuff that's not going to be used, but I'm just, I have to just kind of go through that process. I mean, nobody's going to see your first draft ever, mm. most likely. Mm. You know, you're not just going to, mm. you're not just going to shit out a gem, uh, a gemstone, unless you're a. Oh, keep that. I mean, that's some people don't, but you know, <laughs> that's, that's how I keep the lights on around here. <laughs> it's all grist for the mill was my point. Um, but yeah, writing those, those crappy first drafts. Uh, is important. So I went back to uh, this this fun little book called Several Short Sentences About Writing, which is really a pretty serious book about brevity and and the importance of uh, simplifying or or uh, clarifying your thinking as a writer. Uh, Verlin Klinkenberg, the author, talks about a serious writer's job, which is really kind of uh, I don't know. He talks about form and function or kind of he asked the question where do sentences where do sentences come from how do they reveal themselves in your thinking sometimes you know exactly what you want to say and you find the words to say exactly that say you're shooting off an email to a, an editor but just as often what you what you want to say emerges as the sentence takes shape right so thought and sentence are always a collaboration i really like that quote and it's, it's true right because yeah. Because in the margins there, there's a subtext that emerges that maybe you didn't even see when you started the piece. Have you had that experience? Well, yeah. I mean, I always, you know, it's very, that's very reminiscent of a quote I say all the time because I've experienced it at Alex Haley quote that I read. I mean, I, I assume it's him. I read it, someone else attributed it to him. And it was, you don't always get the book you want, you get the book you get. <laughs> and, um, and I think that's what he's saying here. And you know, my process is a, it's it's a really fun process of starting, having a hard time, like like building up the energy to start, then starting, and then worrying for the first eighty percent of the first draft that what I have sucks, and complaining to my wife about I'm not sure this is any good. I don't know what after, and then and getting to the end of it and evaluating, you're like, oh, this is pretty good actually, and then getting it, making it better and better and better. So this to me is exactly that, right? You're, you, yeah. You're never sure of what you have while you're slogging through a draft. Um, so don't be afraid of that. Don't let that derail you. Be willing to collaborate thought and sentences at the same time. Yeah, yeah. If you're it's going to be a messy it. process. It's a yeah. messy process. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, right. And yeah. And so I think kind of leading into... Um, the next couple that only serious writers do. And I think number four, um, which I didn't really expand on that much. Uh, but it's something I think it's important to remember that, that, that the tediousness of writing and, and number four is only serious writers get bored and understand it's part of the process. Um, there's something about the tedious nature of sitting there and having to wrestle with the blank page and your thoughts. And it's kind of maddening at times, is it not? I mean, there's nothing really sexy about being a writer. It's lonely. It's uncomfortable. You got to, you know, your chair is not always going to feel. It's smelly. Yeah. It could, I mean, your, oh. ba your back is going to hurt. <laughs> it's smelly. It's, uh, well, yeah, sure. Oh, wait. Oh, okay. it's <laughs> not for everybody, I guess. Um, it's, it's, don't tell everybody how unglamorous it is. <laughs> it's very glamorous. <laughs> Haven't you seen the average writer? Aren't they glamorous looking people? 
Yeah, it's it's funny. It's funny that that um, yeah, the writing world is not like fitness people in on Instagram. A writing world is is usually pictures of like cats and typewriters and out the window because right. they're just bored and they're like, oh, there's my teapot and like junk food and junk food that they uh, consume. Excuse me, I'm sorry, I don't actually eat that much junk food, but um, <laughs> no way. But uh, but no, I mean it's like. Yeah, right. It's the the, the photo of an author in a, on a book is not a sexy thing. It's like it's like a nerdy person Just looking remember, looking Arthur depressed. Miller got, Arthur Miller <laughs> may have married Marilyn Monroe, but he also lost her. <laughs> there you go. Um, but you know, author photos are are of like just like nerds looking sad. Or trying to look sexy, but failing. Yeah, it's uh, just their heads. Anyway. Well, you know, we're wrestling with the, uh, we're wrestling with the, with our own neuroses. Cause it is, a, it, it's, it, I think it goes, dials back to the last aspect, which is that it is a messy process. So, hmm. you know, one, the guy I'm working with right now on one of the, one of the ghostwriting projects says it best. He's like, when you're comfortable and everything's cool and you're like, you're having a nice glass of iced tea, uh, Every dream you come up with sounds doable, you know, and I think when you're not writing and you're you've just read an amazing book or you saw a crazy, an incredible movie and you're moved by the idea of a creative life and everything's cool. You think of this idea and you're like, oh, this is going to be great. And it sounds super easy and doable. And then you start doing it and it doesn't feel that way. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, whether that's bored or uncomfortable or in my case, neurotic, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just part of the process. So I think what you're saying is whether it's boredom or whether it's, um, I mean, this is really well put. It could be boredom. It could be, um, fear, it could be whatever doubt. It's all part of the process and you just don't get derailed by it. You know, yeah. you learn not to though. You learn not to. It's right. a learned trait. It's a it's a muscle, just like writing is a muscle. The endurance and the blocking out uh, of doubt is also a muscle. Exactly, but it's also a brain a brain training thing um, because you know I know we talk about the author as athlete. We've used that. Did I overuse muscle metaphor? <laughs> we use the metaphor. metaphor a lot. Stop but, saying muscle, bro. But it, I mean, it only takes like twenty, you know, like sixteen or twenty muscles or something to, you know, to write on a, pe- you know, on a pe- with a pen and paper. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean it as a mindset. Yeah, it's it's a mindset. Sure, more than right. Anything. And the like mindset a, piece is yeah. is the neuro neuroscience piece. Yeah, yeah, and and the yeah. neuroscience is far more complex than that. I mean, you're firing millions of neuronal act, you know. And, and that's a training piece. So I think that, that going back well, to... Well, that's the idea, right? Yeah. Like, isn't it something like every hour we think 3,000 thoughts or something crazy like that? Yeah. And yeah. it's like, you're not going to think the right thought every time. <laughs> There's going to be like, no matter how disciplined you are in right. terms of mindset, you're going to think some self-defeating, doubtful thoughts. It's just the way it is. I mean, right. it, that's just life. You know, like that's the deal. So uh, if you can train yourself to block out the, those thoughts or if one one slips through to self-correct... Um, I think that's the key. And we do that. We already do those things. It's just a matter of doing them in context of writing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to point at a couple books that I didn't, I didn't mention in the piece, um, that I found really interesting about boredom and creativity and the correlation, uh, kind of coming back to the boredom thing is yeah. that being bored is part of the process. I think that was, that was my point there. Um, and that there is a correlation because being bored and giving your mind, time to rest, you know, be it taking a walk or doing something mindless 
triggers that what we've called what we call the default mode network in your brain um, that works in the background while you're doing other things right we yeah. talked about this with, with neuroscientist michael gribko in the past um but being bored is actually important and we don't do it enough we keep ourselves constantly busy i've talked about this with wnyc podcast host manush Zomarodi, who wrote this great book bored and brilliant uh who talks about unlocking your productive and you know your productivity and your creativity by unplugging i love it yeah it's pretty important i'll link to that one another i great... love it it's it's if you don't allow your brain space nothing there's nothing it can't occupy any space that's right it, yeah and in our, I love it. And yeah, I, I've been. I, I, I want. I'm trying to commit to actually taking a full day where I just shut down my phone. I don't bring yep. it with me. I love not bringing yep. it with me when it's like a quick trip out to market. It's like, but I'm such a slave to it. I'm as I'm as guilty as anybody. Yeah. So yeah. Well, we we are we are victims of the cult of busyness. It makes us feel good for some reason to always be busy because we feel like maybe we're being more productive when we're always doing something or always keeping ourselves occupied. Um, Ava Hoffman wrote a book called How to Be Bored. Talks about it, almost exactly the same thing where she you know talks about this overstimulated age and how important it is to have you know to self-knowledge at least to being able to kind of uh look inward and and you know have some at least some uh i don't know creative revelations it's important to well, be, i think it's, it's so cool that you're you spend so much time diving into these things because it's really helpful and to be able to talk with so many gifted writers and not just gifted but people who've managed to kind of put put some ideas out there and publish and and in in some diverse formats i mean it's just like i love it when you put these compilations together because it just shows um it shows the growth of your show but it also shows kind of like the world uh, all these you know nothing's a secret we've all we're all kind of slogging through and, and you know yeah. when you talked about the writer life as being lonely it's also isolating yeah. so to you know for your listeners to be able to to see this and benefit i mean it's what a cool thing i mean what a great resource you've created here oh, thank you so much i appreciate the the feedback i always look uh look forward to hearing from listeners and of course my peers as well uh adam um yeah, so I don't know. Yes. You you had mentioned. Hey, Andy, I'm a listener, man. I'm a listener. Thanks, dude. You you'd mentioned mentioned this great Andy Weir quote before, but he talks about exactly the same thing. It's the same theme running through this whole whole piece that Andy Weir couldn't remember who he was quoting, but he was quoting apparently Stephen King from On Writing. Mm. Another great one. So a great writer, and I can't remember his or her name. I uh, I I just completely blanked on who it was, but they said. Sometimes you're writing and you're extremely motivated. You're just like cranking out words, you're doing well. And other times it's just like a slog. It's like every word on the page is like this huge amount of work for you. And you feel like crap. You feel like you're just, you know, just hammering away and it's just constant effort and it doesn't feel good at all. Yeah. One thing you'll notice is if you wait a week and then look back on the stuff you wrote, you can't tell the difference between when you were motivated and when you weren't. Hmm. So it's really important to remember, and this helps me a lot. It's really important to remember that the quality of your work isn't greatly affected by the amount of enthusiasm you had at the moment you wrote it. I mean, that just sums it up, right? What, yeah, what all, it does. These, what all these authors are essentially saying is like, you know, once you have that habit uh, built, doesn't matter how you feel. You don't have to feel super, super psyched to be sitting there if you want to be productive and uh, prolific. Yeah, I mean, we've said it. We've said it before. I, I think I've jumped ahead to this quote. We've said it before. It's it's um, I always am suspicious of people who have to have, you know, 
the lights and the music and you know i i learned just by having to do it you know for, for here's a, a good example for me is you know before i started working on lonely planet books i was just kind of working on on um for whatever jobs i could find so i was piecing together things through a lot of lifestyle journalism and 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 i didn't always have work and so then in those moments i would be working on some you know whether it's a screenplay with you or or um or a manuscript idea for a book i just didn't have the discipline yet so even though i had space to to create those things i didn't find myself to be super disciplined if i wrote 500 750 words then i'd figure i i wrote that day um, you know, I, I kick myself how much time I wasted. Uh, but what it took was actually being under the gun on a Lonely Planet manuscript and having to churn out what fifty thousand words in no. th- in thirty days or <laughs> less. Uh, and where where Ian Stewart, a great you know longtime Lonely Planet and guidebook author for Lonely Planet and Rough Guides, told me, "Do may you just got to do th- three thousand words a day?" And when he told me that, I was petrified. I'd never <laughs> done anything like that. Um, and um, but that I found I could tune into that once I did it, it, it changed everything for me. So, it, you know, cool. I was kind of under the gun and had to do it. And that's how I developed that. Um, but, you know, with me, it's there's a portion of my life that's research then I get into the writing. And when I start again, I'm always right back to where I was. You know, first it's 500, 750 words. The next day it's 1,500, 2,000 words. And then I pretty much kick, kick it into gear. But it takes a little bit of ramp up time and then I'm there. Um, yeah. so, uh, every time it's a new discovery, but, uh, I mean, I, we've talked this to death, but yeah, I mean, I think, but I think we're just covering the same takeaways here, which are, you know, they're so simple. It, it, it's weirdly psychological that we don't, it's like, you know, you kind of forget these things. Um, yeah. which brings us to number five. And I think you just mentioned it and I, and I think I probably stole this quote from you, but deadlines are the pressure that make a diamond and number five. Only serious writers meet their deadlines, no matter the hardship or duress. That's exactly what you're talking about when you're on a, on a crazy deadline for a Lonely Planet guide, which is unbelievable to me, that that kind of uh, uh, defined you as a writer or it helped uh, mm. mold you. Mm. It turned you into a diamond. It turned you into well. a diamond. So I, I'd sell myself if that was true. I'd go to the pawn shop right now and sell myself to I, myself. I think the point the point was um, that without some kind of deadline, uh, either self-imposed or professionally mandated is what, what you were talking about, both things, most writers are preternaturally lazy. Well, I think most humans are preternaturally lazy. It's the way we work. You know, it's the way our minds work. So yes, and 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 without the deadline, you do you do tend to kick it down. You know, kick the can down the line. Once you're kind of locked into this life, and you become like me, where you have no other marketable skills, uh, even if you don't have a deadline, <laughs> you you keep you grind hard because you know the yeah. paydays at the end. So you you know, even if your editors don't give you a deadline and allow you to do it on your time, you do. The deadline is you need you need to get paid. So, um, so yeah. So it's always driving me a deadline or 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 the you know, pay, you know my my <laughs> bank balance is right. driving me. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but that's okay. You know, that's just that's every it does everybody. That's why people show up to work every day. So that's life. Sure, sure. I spoke yeah. with uh, uh, best-selling author and journalist Scott Carney recently on the show early this year, and you know that's his whole mission is like to help journalists like as he puts it make a middle class living which is something Mm. that uh seems to be a lost art but 
Yeah, I think just to wrap up here, I always come back to uh, Dan Pink's workmanlike process. When I'm working on a book or it's sort of at the stage where I've done enough research where I feel like I've more or less mastered a lot of the material and can move on to executing it, uh, I, I actually will be pretty, I look at it like, I, I think of it as bricklaying, where I'll, you know, come to my office, show up in my office at a certain time, you know, you, you know like let's say nine o'clock, and then I will set myself a, a word count for the day, mm. let's say 500 words, and then I will and turn off my phone, turn off my email, and then I will do nothing truly nothing until I hit my word count. And if I hit my word count at 11 in the morning, hallelujah. If it's two o'clock in the afternoon, and I still haven't hit my word count. I ain't going anywhere. You know, and, and, you know, don't, don't feel intimidated by Adam's 3000 words a day. You know, he's a, he's a pro. He's pretty serious, but D- Dan Pink has written uh, so many best-selling books and he, you know, he sets himself small, manageable goals and again yeah. just 10 minutes a day to start that habit will get you into that mindset and yeah. then trust me you're you, you set you set yourself maybe a 20 minute writing period and, and oftentimes you don't want to stop writing you're not going to stop at 20 minutes you're just going to keep going because you get into a flow or you get into a you know you hit a vein of whatever uh and you keep going yeah and um definitely don't be intimidated by my dumb thing i'm not trying to even be macho about it <laughs> dan pink is far more successful i i would follow dan pink's advice <laughs> yeah He's i mean we're, we're all gonna do it differently but, and it brings but, us yeah. back to number one which is yeah. all serious writers just show up and just showing up is half the battle yeah and i love what he says here because um and like i said like you know when he, he might be doing 500 words every day of the year. Whereas, like I said, I, 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 my, my work life is more like Malcolm Gladwell. I heard him talk about this on a, on a podcast. He has his research period, then his writing period. That's more my style. Yeah. So I have a research period where I'm oftentimes not writing. Yeah. So if you put it all together, it's not 3000 words every day of, uh, you know, five days a week. No, that's definitely not it. It's not what I'm doing. So, um, I don't want to overstate it, but, uh, when I'm in the writing mode, that's what I try to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of wrapped up um, in this piece with, you know, that I think all serious writers just have that ability to focus on what's important, tune out what's not, regardless of how you do it. Most do turn off the internet. Uh, for the record, a lot of a lot of very serious writers find a way to shut off the internet on their machines so they're not tempted to look at Facebook or Twitter or the news. But uh, yeah, uh, my final point here was... Great writers aren't born. They're forged from toil, rejection, and the occasional success. Occasional. Yeah, when you put it that way, it makes me really wonder what I've been doing all these years. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to. Jeez. No, I'm just kidding. It's true. You, it's you, true, though. Sometimes I, I, sometimes I do consider my life choices, and uh, but we're not gonna. We'll get into that in another podcast. <laughs> Adam's life choices. Four life choices of Adam Skolnick. That'll <laughs> be a great episode. Um, you have had quite a few successes. Don't look a gift horse. Or in I, the... don't, I, don't, I, I, I love this lifestyle. It's not easy. <laughs> it's um, but it's there's a certain liberated quality to it. And I love it. And, and, um, and I, and I love it when I hear from other writers and I, I, you know, I totally, I do totally recommend it. Um, but it's, it's definitely 
can be a harsh lifestyle too. And I think you put it, this is perfect. Toil, rejection, and the occasional success. That's, that's it perfectly. I mean, that's, that's completely <laughs> it right there. Yeah. Not to, uh, but that's not bad though. Right. That's not bad because hard work and rejection make yeah. you strong of mind. Yeah. And then when you have the, you know, you know what, one of the worst, uh, not the worst, but you know what the, what, this is a great way to end on it. But like what I thought was my greatest success in my career literally almost threatened me completely financially. Yeah. My book coming out in 2016, uh, it was received really well by critics. A lot of people really liked it, but it didn't sell like I'd hoped. And I kind of took my eye off the ball promoting the book and I wasn't really working on anything else, wasn't lining up work. Right. And not too long after that, I was facing some severe financial crises and I was able to dig my way out of it, but I could have very easily not been able to dig my way out of it. And so, uh, you know, it's it's interesting what you know the the hard work and the toil the occasional success actually can be something that undermines you yeah. in an, in, a, in an odd way whereas the rejection hardens you so I would say don't look at that sentence as 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 daunting uh, embrace that sentence because that is the life but that doesn't mean it's not a beautiful life love it I love it that's a great place to end uh, my parting shot was it's deliberate practice grit persistence commitment to growth. And an inner drive that sets apart the serious writers. And I think you uh, put it very succinctly that, uh, yeah, you got to keep your eye on the ball and um, go forth. Go forth, writer. Hey, thank you. <laughs> I, I will go forth. <laughs> Can I go forth now? Thank, thank you. Yes, please, please. Your, your excuse. Hey, thanks for uh, tuning in to the Writer Files. Thank you for listening to my dad's story. I apologize for dropping that in there. Felt like it was necessary to explain where I've been. Uh, we do have more, more Writer Files on the way. Be patient with us uh, as we are still getting our footing. And um, yeah, we look forward to uh, hearing from you in the comments. You can find us over on writerfiles.fm at the top of the feed there. Um, drop us a rating or review over at uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you tune in to the pods. Uh, be happy to hear from you and we appreciate the feedback and uh, we'll be back uh, soon. Any uh, final thoughts? <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, thank you for having me, sir. And, uh, thank you for what you're doing for all of us. And, uh, you know, it's such an honor to know you and be your great friend. And, uh, we love you and keep rocking. I will keep rocking in the free world as long as it stays free for now. It seems to be free here, at least, uh, in America. <laughs> <laughs> But hopefully this is all a mirage. This is all a hope, Hopefully this is reality. all not really happening. <laughs> but if Red Dawn does happen, I'm going to go to Colorado and save you from the penitentiary. I am on my way to Toronto as we speak. <laughs> oh, good. I'm, I'm nowhere. I'm, nowhere. I'm recording this on me. the train. Putin. <laughs> Putin, you will never find me, Putin. <laughs> oh, that's out there now. He's going to find you. You just It's like you threw down the gauntlet and dared him to find <laughs> yeah. you. I dare you to find me, Putin. I am in um, <laughs> right around the corner from you. <laughs> Look outside your window. I think we're going to hit stop now. Okay. <laughs> I don't think that's coming in. I don't think that's going to make it. And scene. <laughs> <laughs>